All This podcast is brought to you by All This International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Michael Everly. Michael is the VP of Computational Biology at PacBio. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be on here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. So, Michael, let's start with yourself, please. Could you give us a bit of an overview of your journey in technology from where you got started, some of the roles you fell along the way, and take us up to today as the VP of CompBio? Yeah, I mean, going back all the way, to college, I started out, I was very interested in math and physics. And so I got my undergraduate degree in physics at the University of Washington. And then on graduate school, I uh, went into geophysics at Brown University. And there, what I was working on was performing numerical modeling of, of basically earth processes. So physical aspects of the earth, such as how the ocean floor is created and how it's destructed at uh, subduction zones. After I finished up with my uh, schooling, I did a postdoc in France. And that was actually where I, I kind of did modeling of what we call subduction zones. And then from there, I was actually, I'm originally from the state of Washington and we were really looking to get back into that state. And so when I was looking for jobs, this would have been in the late 1990s, the Human Genome Project was going in full swing. And so there was a lot of opportunities for somebody that could code and new statistics and that type of work, not all around that field. So everything about genetics was blowing up. So I ended up getting a job at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center with a new scientist there, Leonid Krugliak. And from him, I got into the field of population genetics. So studying how, in a simple way, how different variants are transmitted in the population, how they might, variations that you would see in a genome might correlate with other ones and, and how you can use that to study common diseases. And then later at the University of Washington, for about six years doing kind of the equivalent of a research scientist postdoc. And then I took a job at Illumina where they were developing genotyping arrays at the time was that was their main product. And these arrays were basically ways to measure these exact same markers that I had been studying, how they segregated in the population. And so the way they were designing the arrays were actually built pretty much off of a paper that I had been a kind of a co-first author on. And so I knew exactly what they were doing and was able to jump right in in helping them develop new versions of this array technology. Over the years, I, as that became more of a sequencing company where you're actually measuring the entire genome, I started to kind of get more into that area there and was with Illumina for about almost 16 years until this year, I moved over to Pacific Biosciences and have been working there as a VP of uh, computational biology for six months now. 
Well, thank you for sharing the journey so far, Michael. It's great to learn about your own background and it leads me nicely into my next question, which is tell us all about PacBio, the mission of the organization and what drew you to PacBio after being with Illumina for so long? So Pacific Biosciences is developed sequencing data also. So there's several companies out there that do it, but the niche of Pacific Biosciences or PacBio is that we actually can read, if you take the DNA from an individual, the whole genome is about 3 billion base pairs long. You can actually cut that up into pieces and we could read what's called read or sequence strings of DNA that are about 10,000 to 20,000 bases long. And that's about two orders of magnitude longer than most any other technology out there. And we can do it with very high accuracy. And so in that, what's really exciting is that uh, it opens up the world for different problems to analyze. And so we're able to rethink a lot of the work that I had done before and go in and maybe solve problems that we couldn't do before and maybe even go back and even resolve problems that maybe for our technology could be considered a little bit harder by developing new methods. So that's actually, it's, it's really exciting to do that. And ultimately when you fit it in with both my vision and the company's vision is to be able to sequence an individual and identify all the possible variations that individual has that could lead to diseases and allow us to learn more about diseases to actually help help people's human health overall. Mm-hmm. It sounds fascinating. It would be good to for the audience who are listening that are maybe not as familiar with the use of AI and data within the computational biology world. Can you give us some insight into the unique aspects of AI and how it's applied in this field? There are multiple ways that that AI, and I mean, you can actually cover all of these things. So there's a, a lot of like big data involved too. AI in particular, when you actually have 3 billion base pairs, sometimes developing Uh, Let's say if you're to read the sequence data, AI can be powerful to try to improve the accuracy of that. So by reading it is it goes through and you measure each base and sometimes there can be systematic errors. So you can use things like AI to try to clean up those errors. I think downstream might be some of the bigger stuff. So if you were to get a large number of individuals together, the and measure, do something like where you measure a group that has a disease and compare that with a group that doesn't have a disease, you can start to bring in things like AI to look at these data and try to, there's billions of bases, millions of variants, and actually sift through that and try to find the signals that and pull those out from the noise is one definitely big area where AI is starting to play a part and will going forward even more so. I think of myself as maybe closer, I said population genetics, a lot of what we're doing is even just getting, trying to get big data. So on that, what we wanna do if we're developing, so when I'm talking about like a variant call or just maybe to give people background, you have people, most people will know about the human reference genome. The way you analyze that, the most part is you actually see, get sequence data and you find where that maps, where that came from relative to the human reference genome. 
And the what's really interesting are the places where there's differences. So one thing would be just a single base, like in this individual you're looking at, let's say it has a T at this base, but in the reference genome, it has an A. And that can actually be, it can either be nothing or it can be very important. And so us looking at many individuals allows us to start to assess that too. So if we, for example, we're, we're looking at just a simple base difference like that. The first level would be, oh, do we see that in the population? If we see it in the population, it's unlikely to be what we call del deleterious or leading to diseases or something like that. So as we're bringing in more and more samples, we're able to actually understand more and more about the genomes. The next genome we sequence, we can use all that historical information to help us as we try to determine what we think about, whether if this is an individual with a disease or something, whether what we're seeing is actually the cause of that disease or just the kind of noise in the data. Mm -hmm. When you look at the roadmap for the work in the near term, what are some of the milestones that you're working towards? And along that journey, what are some of the main challenges that you're facing? Yeah, the big challenges are probably just getting more and more genomes and doing a better and better job with them. So when when we say that the genome, there's a reference genome, that was done about 20 years ago. And that reference genome only contained somewhere like over 95%. There was a significant amount that was missing from that because they just couldn't assemble it with the technology at the time. And so that's actually one thing very cool about our technology is they recently redid that and were able to you know, assemble basically a complete genome. And so what happens though also is for us to identify what when we look at an individual's genome what's really important like i said before is what are these differences and there's still a significant portion of the genome that it's hard to actually identify those well and compare them from individual to individual so that's a big area that we need to improve on we know that we can actually assemble a genome de novo so from scratch but actually being able to systematically do that going forward very rapidly to the point where we can give people answers. That's one of the big next hurdles going forward. You are listening to the Aldis podcast. When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. I want to spend some time now talking about the team and the various roles that are required to support this work and research, specifically speaking to an audience of AI professionals. When you look at the roadmap and the work ahead, what sort of positions, what sort of people do you need to bring in in order to help you accomplish the overall goal of speaking to data scientists, data engineers, computational biologists, and, and every other role that plays a part in this research? We need all of them. <laughs> the, I think that, you know, to me, when I think of my group and the team, what's really important is how we mesh together. And so you can't have a team that, let's say it's AI, that's 100% AI, because you need other people that have different backgrounds on it, more information, more knowledge of the biology and the genetics. So I think that getting more and more people that probably even are cross-disciplinary. So they have a good sense 
of multiple fields. So like genetics, a lot of what I am able to provide is knowing the genetic aspect and what we should be looking for. And then combining that with knowledge of, okay, how we, you know, on the statistics or programming side, how can we maybe solve that? And so I think that's actually being much more kind of multi-dimensional is going to be the big wave of the future going forward, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it already is actually in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. Staying on the topic then of the team and the people that you're going to need, obviously as a senior leader in PacBio, you'll be involved in then the building, scaling and leading of this team. When you're speaking to candidates about the environment, the culture and the mission of PacBio, what is it that you tell them that would get them excited and interested enough to join PacBio or some of the other great yeah. opportunities available to them? What I tell them is that we're actually, you know, we work with patient data. So when we are doing our work, we have a mission and we get sequence data from and DNA from people where they will have a child that has an unexplained genetic disease that we think is, you know, that everything points it to being an error in their DNA. And so we have the right technology to look at that. And so that all of the stuff that, that we're doing, our goal is actually to get these people the answers. And at one level, that's a big driver is I feel like the mission should inspire people. And the other is just also, I think what we do is very fun. We are working to solve problems. We're working to do things that allows us to really push ourselves in the in our skills and our statistical analysis and bring in alternative ideas rethink things i think that's just very enjoyable when i talk to people i'm like very excited about what i do and i think that the right people have that same feeling i think that there's if you look at a lot of us that work together there is an excitement about what we do I think the other thing that usually we're hiring people that are recent PhDs, myself and my team, we have created an environment and our company agrees with this, where we are have one foot in academic research and one foot in industrial research. And so we get to write papers. We get to do a lot of things that people were actually familiar with before coming out there. We don't do it to the point where it takes away too much of our time, but that does open us up to being having the opportunity to interact with some of the best scientists in the world, which is very inspiring too. Michael, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. It was great to learn about your own background, even more so to learn about PacBio and the interesting work you guys are doing. It sounds like an exciting time for the space that you're in and clearly a lot of opportunities in the future for people to join you on this journey. So we wish you, the team and everyone at PacBio the best of luck in the months and years to come. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the near future. Really great. An honor to be asked to be on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Oldest Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.